Well, here we are on the last Monday in the month of, of uh, March. This is recorded well ahead of time, about six, seven weeks ahead of time. And in fact, if you go back and look at the Monday morning messages in March, you'll see that they were all recorded on the same day because I own other shirts. But we do that to make sure that they're there in case things happen as they did at the 1st of February and the last of January, when my wife and I were down for a couple of weeks with COVID. And then I had to be up in Chicagoland to train some police officers for eight, nine days. Seemed like 20, 30 days. It was a tough job, but it was a good thing. Anyway, uh, we do this early. So let's wrap up this Who Told You About the Bible for this month. Then we're going to take it in a different direction. And I hope you'll enjoy that as well. Uh, I know this has troubled some of you, but it's also liberated some of you. I get a lot of email. You can write patrick at OurSafeHarbor.com. Uh, I will try to respond. I think I respond to 99%, but I do miss some. So uh, I'll do my best, all right? When we say, as people do, uh, I, I don't say it, and we defined inerrancy four different ways last week, so go check it out. If we say the Bible is inerrant, then we have another problem. How do we apply it? And the answer is that there's never been anyone who's applied it consistently that I can find anywhere. People try, you know, they'll even write a book about it, the year of living biblically, for example. But just take, for example, 1 Timothy chapter 2. I want to note the um, call to pray for leaders of nations, kings and such in the first two verses. It doesn't just say to pray for yours. In the middle of February, and I did not hear it, I have not read the prayer, I just understand. I just saw um, during the middle of February these headlines popping up. The Christians really criticizing Franklin Graham for praying for Putin. Um, who knows what the world's going to be like when this is broadcast about six weeks after I record it. So I'm not, who knows. That said, we're supposed to pray for Putin. We're supposed to pray for Kim Il-sung. We're supposed to pray for, uh, for Joe Biden. We're supposed to pray for leaders. Doesn't mean we support them. It doesn't mean we voted for them. It doesn't mean they're the one we want. It means obedience to God. We're gonna pray for the leaders. But I've never heard a prayer for for example, Osama bin Laden or Ayatollah Khomeini as I was growing up, never heard prayers for them. Now, that doesn't mean that, that people weren't praying for them. It just means I didn't hear them. A man of limited experience that was just in his place and time. <clears throat> but then uh, verse 8, same chapter, 1 Timothy 2. Is it necessary to hold up your hands as you're praying? I think all of us would say no. Well, I told you to do it there. Why would you not? Well, that was just a, that was a, that was a metaphory thing there. That's, that's all that was. We do that a lot. Whenever we're going, that just doesn't, nah, okay, that's not necessary. Hmm. We'll keep going. Verse 9, and, and note that his railing against being immodest meant something completely different than it does to us. Um, to us, being immodest physically immodest would mean wearing too little clothes, showing too much skin, right? Well, in Paul's day, uh, immodest was to wear too many and to wear too fine and rich of clothes. Putting on your Sunday best 
would not have been popular with Paul. So he, he went after it with hairstyles and jewelry and such, specifically on women. Um, but most churches, the women are dressed in pretty well and their hair's done nice and there's jewelry and such. I know there are a couple, um, uh, especially in the Church of God, prophecy type line that don't do that. But, but most of them, you know, just kind of, okay, that, that was for them. And he just means don't overdo it, right? Okay. And then verse 11 about women being silent. All of a sudden, churches run, grab that one and hold it up and say, behold, the word of the Lord, this cannot be changed. It's not a metaphor. It has no context to it at all. This is for all peoples, all times and all places. Welcome biblical womanhood, which is ridiculous because they've waved around, they've waved away the first 10 verses. They don't do that. In fact, the word quiet that is used for women in verse 11 is also used for men in verses one and two. It's just translated differently. We talked about this as we went the, through the who told you about women and you can go back and look for that. What about verse 15? The women are saved in childbirth. Do you believe that? Most of us will go, I, um, that's got to be some sort of arcane, esoteric thing. Paul was hitting some theological deep waters there. That, But you don't say that about any of the other verses. Huh. By the way, I have no idea what being saved by childbirth means. I've, I've read probably 20 people who are absolutely sure they know. And I'm not, and I'm just going to have to skip on on that one. Do you wash each other's feet as an act of obedience uh, to God? Well, John 13, right after he instituted the Lord's Supper, he instituted feet washing, according to some churches. Most churches don't do that, uh, ever. But they'll take the Lord's Supper every week or once a quarter or however they do it in their, in their particular denominational polity. We, um, you, you don't see the fit, foot washing thing going there. And that was in the same chapter. And in fact, he even said, what I'm doing for to you, you should be doing to each other. Do I believe he was making a command for us today to incorporate the washing of feet in our worship? No. The washing of feet meant something in his culture, which I do believe he was instituting. And that is worship, worshiping Christ means serving the poor, serving those that the world would say are under us or are beneath us, but rather we get on our knees in front of them and serve them. That's what he's instituting. He used the feet washing because that's what it meant to them. But again, if you're an inerrantist, why are you not doing that as well as the Lord's Supper? Why is that not a sacrament as well? There was a church we went to in, in England um, I don't know if you'd call that the Midlands or not, guys, because I'm just not an expert on uh, how England refers to its areas. I know Scotland quite well. Um, <clears throat> but this was in the town of Wigan. And we went to a church there that was um, a church of Christ that was planted by American missionaries long before, I, I believe. And when you walked into the building, that was the classrooms, uh, the worship area, the, what some churches would call a sanctuary, um, they would just call an auditorium, was on the second floor, uh, which in Britain is called the first floor, but never mind. Um, you, so you go up to the second floor. And when I asked why, uh, I thought they were kidding me at first, but they're not. 
And that is that because the Lord's Supper was taken in an upper room, you can only take it in an upper room. Well, they even went further. They didn't take communion, Eucharist, whatever name you have for it, on Sunday mornings, ever. It was only done in the evening because Jesus did it in the evening in an upper room. You see where inerrancy and trying to find a pattern to lock into gets us? Oh, it gets it more. Other churches I know split because do we break the bread? And if we do, do we break it before or after the prayer? And they're running back and forth through the gospels trying to find the pattern. Well, what if the Bible wasn't written for the pattern? Get you off the hook for the holy kiss, wouldn't it? Get your foot for the, I mean, do we severely limit which widows we support and give money to and help? Paul told Timothy to, uh, told Titus to. Do we think it's acceptable to go worship Jesus in a Jewish synagogue? They did. Maybe the pattern isn't the Bible and a secret thing we got to hunt and find and then agree on that our group agrees on. Instead, it always reminds me that my cousin's book, Handbook of Denominations, Frank S. Mead, he's passed on now, but a committee still issues it from time to time. Keeps getting bigger because there are more and more denominations. Uh, and each one of them starts thinking that they got the truth that the others missed. Isn't God lucky he got us finally? And it's, I, what are you going to do with this? When Jesus said to be united, what are we going to do with this? Well, John chapter one, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And then John begins to unfold the story of Jesus because Jesus is according to the Bible, the word of God. When we read the phrase, the word of God, most of us who have been trained in a um, Protestant tradition I really do not know about what happens in the brains of those that were raised in others. But if you're raised in a Protestant tradition, you almost always think of the Bible. Whereas in scripture, it's almost always referring to Jesus. Yeah, I know that's a, that's a big statement. Go check it out. Read it that way and see what happens. See how that changes because he does say he is the way, the truth, the life. He is the word of God. How many times did Jesus say the words that I give to you are not my words. They are the words that my Father gave to me to give to you. The Holy Spirit will help you remember all the words that I gave you, which did not come from me. They came from my Father. Constantly. He is the Word of God. And then read Hebrews. But if you don't have a lot of time today, read Hebrews 1. It solidifies it, nails it down. Jesus is what God looks like, sounds like, acts like, talks like. If you want to know what God's like, look at Jesus. He is the word of God. And yet, <clears throat> to this day, people will grab a Bible. They'll find something. Uh, it could be Charles Russell, back in the late 1800s, early 1900s, uh, who taught himself Greek, but didn't teach himself Greek well. And he found that the word cross can sometimes mean an X. And therefore, he, he said, well, the Bibles are mistranslated. Christ was crucified on an X. And then, well, this word means, and eventually they develop into the Jehovah's Witnesses because somebody who didn't know Greek really well translated his own Bible and says, we've found the lost one. Or you, you might have the Seventh-day Adventist did the same thing. You might have the Mormons did the same thing. We found, we found, we found, we have finally found the lost, the special, the, the information that nobody else had found. 
except they didn't. Does it bother me that almost no scholar believes Peter wrote first Peter? And it's really hard to find one who believes that he wrote second Peter. No, it doesn't. Can I deal with the fact that some books of our Bible almost didn't make it in? I mean, Revelation hung out there till the end, almost didn't get in. And in the Eastern Orthodox churches, it is still read in its entirety before Easter, but otherwise not mentioned. John Calvin wrote a commentary on every book of the Bible but Revelation. I mean, even by Calvin's time, people weren't really sure it belonged in Scripture. Does that bother me? No. No. I had been given a story all my life that the Bible was copied with an incredible set of devotions. When you came upon the Word of God, you used a new pen, you had to bathe yourself, and we've talked about this a couple of months ago. And that somebody else came along to count the letters, you know, they'd count the, the Alephs or the Bets or the Gimels or the Dalets. You know, in the Hebrew, they would count, then all counts had to be the same to make sure every manuscript was exactly pristine in every way so that the, the production of our scripture was a miracle. It's a fantastic story, and not a word of it was true. I believed it. I even preached it into my late 20s until my scientific mind started playing that who told you? Oh, who told them? And who told them? And I found, no, there's no basis for this in history. It's very famous hanging about me that if Patrick sees a thread, someone's going to lose a sweater. I want to go back and see, all right, who started this? And now I had some work to do. Then I found that Jesus is the word of God, and that changed everything. I became a lot nicer person. If you don't like me now, you would have hated me then. Uh, I'm not a nice person, but I'm nicer. See, it's a quality qualifier. I'm working on it. I became a lot happier. I became a lot more gentle and kind, and I quit preaching all those rules because Jesus is our Savior, not pristine obedience to a set of rules. Let me just tell you a story, and then I'll tell you a few stories in the next few weeks about how we got our Bible, and I hope you enjoy them. There is a guy named Tischendorf, he became a count later, so you often hear of Count von Tischendorf. I don't know how often you hear of him, but you should. To some, he was an amazing scholar. To some, he was a scoundrel and a thief. He was a, um, a genius, uh, perhaps even on the spectrum, because he was such a genius, he had a hard time with people. And he noticed when he was visiting churches that they would read the scripture, but the scriptures varied the same passages. This is in 1840s. That really bothered him. So he decided to go, who told you, who told you? He decided to go in search of which of these variant readings were correct. He was kind of a geek version of Indiana Jones at a time when few foreigners were brave enough to go to North Africa. He went, he made his way there and even got his way in more through crook and less by hook. Uh, into the monastery of St. Catherine's, one of the oldest Christian churches on the planet by far. Um, there he found he could not get monks interested in his search for ancient manuscripts because they didn't think it was important. And their response to him was, the books brought us to Jesus and Jesus is where we are. They were not interested in the old manuscripts that were tucked around, some used for stuffing at cracks to keep the wind from coming in, 
Others were used for fire starting, ancient manuscripts of scripture. <clears throat> and they saw no issue with this because no, these brought us to Christ. Now, you don't have to agree with their view. I'm, I'm frankly horrified by it myself. However, eventually he found 44 pages of manuscript in a trash bucket. The monks were using them as fire starters. He realized these were scriptures and that they were far more ancient than any known manuscript of his day. Uh, in a series of tricks, trades, deals, and outright theft, um, several sessions of going in and out, he, um, <clears throat> quote, borrowed them. Eventually, he found several manuscripts. Some of them almost completed the Bible written from the sixth century on, and all of them had variants. All of them varied with the other manuscripts. So he developed rules, which those rules are generally followed today on how to translate. But I want you to think about, we almost lost all those ancient manuscripts. And when we did find them, they still had variants, some kind of important, most not, to be honest. But trying then to merge them became the goal of his life and the goal of many lives since. That's where we're going to pick up next week, Lord willing. God bless you. I hope you have a fantastic week. Please subscribe.